It's derby time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll go to many distant lands. With Dan the coach and Jackie the skater, the fun will never end. It's derby time. Welcome to the Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby Podcast. This is Jackie Bauer. Thank you for joining me today on the path to becoming better athletes, teammates, leaders, and human beings. Welcome back. I am really excited about this week's episode because we are continuing in our stories of like amazing athletes and coaches. Last week, I talked to you about Tim Grover's book, Relentless, because he trained Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, these athletes that had this insatiable need to perform, this desire to succeed at the highest levels. They're just so hungry. And I talked a lot about that mindset and what that looks like in the athlete and how hard it is, how really challenging it is to be that athlete and to perform at those levels and the types of training you need to do and put yourself through. But also the fact that it really kind of lacks in the joy and the team aspect, which I'm really happy that we're going to get into more this week, because this week I'm basically going to give you fun story time with Jackie, where I tell you about Michael Jordan's career and Phil Jackson's career as a coach and how this relationship shaped Michael as a player and all these championships that developed as a result. Now, my source material is 11 Rings, a book by Phil Jackson, and also uh, the documentary series, The Last Dance. I highly recommend checking out both because it's really good. And my goodness, does it feel good to watch sports and oh, it just fires you up so much. Oh, I love it. So let's just start at the beginning. For those of you who don't know the story of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan wanted to be the best player of all time, the best basketball player of all time, and promised no one would ever work as hard as him. He grew up having a rivalry with his brother, Larry, and his brother was really competitive too. So the two of them fed off of each other. And he also was really seeking the approval of his father. And that made him push himself further and further. They grew up in a household where both parents were incredibly encouraging that if you want anything in this world, like you have to go work for it and get it. And you would think that he was just this natural talent and this great success his whole life, but that's not the case. In fact, Michael Jordan didn't make the varsity team as a sophomore. It was really upsetting. He came home completely distraught and his mother encouraged him, hey, like if you want this, just work real hard over the summer, try again next year. And he did. He was out there like every day working his butt off, like putting up shots and training, just doing whatever it took to become more phenomenal. His father often said, if you want to bring out the best in Michael, tell him he can't do something or that someone else can do it better. 
and he'll take it upon himself to prove you wrong. <laughs> There's that relentless mindset again. That's it's that's how you get him. That's that's how you get him. Overall, Michael Jordan ended up playing with the Bulls for 13 years from 1984 to 1998, but the Bulls before Michael Jordan were not terribly impressive. 1984 is the year that Chicago drafted Michael Jordan, and he said they would be champions by the time he left. He really wanted to bring respect to the Chicago franchise. And he had a great year. Like he was rookie of the year for the 1984-1985 season, and he led the Bulls in points, assists, rebounds, and steals. Just immediately on the scene as this phenomenal player, and the city loved him. And when he arrived, he was already the best player on the team. Michael Jordan's mentality was, whoever's the team leader, I'm going to go after them. And he wouldn't go after them with his voice because he didn't really have one yet. He was new to the team, but he'd go after them with his playing. He'd let his playing do the talking for him. And his attitude was, if you don't want to play hard, you can get out. (laughs) Like, He kind of described his own personality as just win at all costs. And you know what? If I have to do it myself, I will. His goal stepping on the court every single time was to win. And he wouldn't accept anything less than best effort. Then the next season, 1985 to 1986, he had a broken left foot. This was really hard for him because He had never even missed a game through high school, college, or the NBA so far in his career, and it was a particular type of injury that took a really long time to heal. And sometimes it never even heals completely, so it was this whole thing, but he had so much drive and ambition, and he couldn't stand just sitting there. He was itching to do something. He actually took the time to go back to college in his spare time. And then when he started feeling a little bit more okay, he started playing a little bit of basketball, little one-on-one, and then eventually five-on-five. And when people found out he had been playing, they were immediately like, oh, well, is he going to play? Is he going to play in the NBA now? And uh, the the team didn't know what to do. The, The leadership, the management of the team didn't know what to do because the doctor said, yeah, there's like only a 10% chance of getting hurt again, but that 10% might mean that his career is over. And he was just the hottest thing to ever happen to basketball in ages. And the whole like franchise was depending on him for the future. This was a big risk. Uh, the higher ups didn't like the risk reward factor. He's, he's their future. And, you know, they weren't going to win a championship that season anyway, so they were like, uh, he should rest. But Michael Jordan's mentality is we should always go out and try to win. So, begrudgingly, they eventually did let him play, but they put him on a time limit. Literally a seven-minute time limit per half. Like, they didn't even care if he was in the middle of making a shot. They would blow the whistle and take him out, put him on the bench. And he's just fuming while he's on the bench because this is ridiculous. So he kind of makes a deal with his coach and asks, like, can you at least put me in 
the most important seven minutes whenever possible to try and win games here. So it did pay off and the Bulls started winning. And it was looking like they might end up getting into the playoff picture anyway, despite uh, Jordan missing those games before. And in one game, after an amazing performance where he had gotten them in a position to win the game, the the buzzer hit or whatever it was that they were using to clock it, and they had to take him out with only 31 seconds left in the game. And there was another factor here to be aware of. If the Bulls miss the playoffs, they might get a better draft pick. So losing could be advantageous. But this was infuriating to Michael Jordan. He hated the idea of not trying to win. Luckily, his teammate, John Paxson, did score the game-winning shot. And so they did move forward, but Michael's attitude is just, you know, we got to do this at the highest level and do it to win all the time. And this did end up affecting his relationship with ownership and management from then on. This was a very touchy thing and immediately kind of uh, put him at odds with them. And Michael Jordan had willed his team that had had a losing record during the season into the playoffs. And so they go to the playoffs and he's really excited to go up against Larry Bird and the rest of this amazing Boston Celtics team that season. He described the first game as like, it was like unleashing a wild dog. He was so excited to be there and be playing at this level that he scored 49 points. He went on this absurd all-time record of like 63 points in a playoff game at one point, but it wasn't enough. Like one amazing player is not enough. The Celtics won the series, but Larry Bird was incredibly impressed with Michael Jordan and actually described him as God disguised as Michael Jordan (laughs) because it was just so beautiful to watch him play. And Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were two of the best players in the world. And they were watching. They knew Michael Jordan was coming. They knew he was already the best player in the NBA. And it was really only a matter of time until he got to a championship. But based on this experience, even more so, leadership was realizing we need to assemble a team around Michael Jordan to set him up for success. So they did make some trades, got some other players in. In the 1987-1988 season, Michael Jordan became MVP of the league, MVP of the All-Star Game, Defensive Player of the Year, and winner of the Slam Dunk Competition. He was achieving at a very, very, very high level, but still did not have that NBA championship that he wanted so badly. Michael Jordan was relentlessly chasing his goals and dreams, and sometimes that meant inventing adversaries, like I talked about last time. 
Uh, for example, in the 1989 season, one of my favorite stories is this time the press doubted the Chicago Bulls and they were putting up predictions of how many games it would take for uh, their opponent to win. So Michael Jordan walks over to the reporters before the last game and he says and he points to each of them and he says, we took care of you. We took care of you. And now we're taking care of you today. They're facing Cleveland Cleveland was up by one point with three seconds to go. Everyone knew exactly where the ball was going to go. Michael Jordan knew he only had time for one dribble and a jump shot. So he did everything he could do to get open, to get that opportunity, to make sure that this happened. And he made the shot. It's literally called the shot. The shot and his leap for joy afterward would be a highlight reel forever. You have definitely seen the photo of this. I actually recently watched the 30 for 30 documentary um, about Cleveland, and it's called Believe Land. And it's this series of how every sports team in Cleveland, like, would have these like really great moments and be so close to success. And then something would go wrong. And one of these things was the shot. The city of Cleveland will never forget how close they were until the shot. Later on that year, the Bulls had to face Detroit, the Detroit Pistons. Now, the Detroit Pistons were the team to beat. They were physical. And Dennis Rodman had been on the team. He would later become a Chicago Bull. Uh, But Detroit Pistons played this really tough, intimidating style. They were bruisers. They would just beat beat the crap out of you. Um, And they also implemented something that they called the Jordan Rules. And the Jordan Rules were basically these defensive tactics enforced whenever Michael was on the floor. You have to stop him before he takes flight because he's he's not human. He has godlike powers and can fly. Uh, You have to physically slam into him every chance you get and if he goes if he even tries to go to the basket you put him on the ground the players were physically trying to hurt him and they were testing his resolve like how much how much do you want to score like how bad do you do you want this are you willing to get injured to score this point right now and the chicago bulls just weren't physically ready at that time like they could not compete with the detroit pistons and they lost the series four to two If you aren't familiar with basketball already, it's a best of seven games series whenever you're in the finals, uh, going through playoffs and then the finals. And I think it used to be best of six before that, but it's best of seven now, which makes a lot more sense because it's an odd number. But this Chicago Bulls didn't have the confidence to win the Eastern Conference finals, but that was the furthest this team had ever been. So a lot of progress had been made. And the coach at the time was Doug Collins. Doug Collins is a very passionate coach. Uh, You can see lots of videos of him just like yelling and jumping up and down and having just lots of emotions. And he set up plays to get Michael Jordan the ball, like tons of plays, like 40 or 50 complicated plays that were just like different ways to get Michael Jordan the ball. And You know, that's all well and good, but it's a lot to memorize. (laughs) It's pretty complicated. And Phil Jackson uh, came on as an assistant coach. And 
he talked to Doug Collins one day and he said, hey, like, I think Michael's trying to do too much. And if he really does have this ambition, he wants to be like Magic Johnson and like Larry Bird. He'll need to focus on working with his teammates. And he shared a quote from his coach when he had played for the New York Knicks. His coach, uh, Red Holzman, said, the real mark of a star is how much better you make your teammates. Now think about that for just a second. Like some of you have been on teams where there's been like this one star player and sometimes you can get really far with a star player. Sometimes you can get a lot of places with a star player, but it is true. I think that the, the true, the true mark of a star, like the real mark of a star is how that star player affects the teammates and makes them better. The effect they have on their teammates, bringing them up, bringing them along with you. So Doug Collins had listened and said, okay, that's great, Phil. Why don't you go tell Michael that? Why don't you go tell him that right now? I'm sure, I'm sure that'll be fine. Go tell him, go tell him about the mark of a star. And at the time, Phil kind of felt weird about it because he'd only been around a month and, uh, but he did, he went over, pulled him out of a press conference and everything to tell Michael Jordan what the real mark of a star was. And, and he listened and he said, okay, thanks. And walked away. Phil Jackson to this day is like still doesn't know exactly what went through Jordan's mind, but he did know one thing. Michael is a coachable player because he cared about doing whatever it took to get to his first NBA championship. And that meant, you know, listening to things that maybe uh, don't mean you'll score as much. In fact, um, there was a system developed by this really smart coach named Tex Winter, who was on the Bulls staff. And this is the triangle offense, the triangle system. It's basically the system of body position and passing to create opportunities. It's the distance between these players and these players, and you just keep creating these angles, triangle, 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 and you can pass any different way from it. Like you can just create all these different combinations and it doesn't require memorization because you're kind of having to be spontaneous and creative on the fly, but it does require everyone to buy in to do this system. Now, Tex thought that this was a really great system. He wanted Doug Collins to use it. Doug Collins was not into it. Uh, <laughs> and he uh, ended up banning Tex Winter to the end of the bench and making him like take notes at practice instead. So uh, this thing is not happening right now. But in the 1989 season, Phil Jackson was hired as the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you about Phil Jackson's approach to coaching, his basic principles of mindful leadership. And from there, I will tell you the continuation of the story. Roller Derby Athletics provides high-level coaching to derby athletes worldwide. They've been the leaders in home-based roller derby cross-training for over seven years. They offer team training plans to support your league. RDA wants to help teams keep working together toward their goals. Membership is now open year-round, so you have access whenever you need it. You can sign up for the Essential Plan, which is great if you prefer to do workout plans on your own, at your own pace. You can choose from a huge library of derby-specific workouts. If you get stuck, there are instructional videos that can help you understand the exact moves you need to get maximum results. 
There's also the MVP plan, which is perfect for the Derby athlete who enjoys additional coaching. This plan is personalized to your needs and can help you reach your goals a lot quicker with the help of RDA's Skater Success Coaches. You can follow the workout calendar and drag and drop it to fit your schedule and get access to all the boot camps and group fitness challenges for free. My favorite group challenge is Suns Out, Funs Out because that one helped me get to my first pull-up ever. And I love that the workouts don't take up a ton of your time. They're short and effective. Roller Derby Athletics offers a ton of derby-specific workouts that will help you to be stronger and faster on the track. And it's all provided to you in the palm of your hand in an easy-to-use app. RDA wants to keep everyone safe, strong, and unstoppable. Get started on your fitness journey today. Visit rollerderbyathletics.com plans to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Bout Betty's, the only roller derby subscription service in the world. They offer a range of levels, so you're sure to find a pack that fits in your budget. So whether you're wanting derby enamel pins, comfy athleisure clothes, or sturdy workout apparel, they have you covered. As for me, I super love the apparel. You may have noticed how often I wear it when I make videos for our Facebook page. The leggings, shorts, and sports bras are amazing. The material is ridiculously silky, smooth, and soft. The first time I pulled on my leggings, I could not stop touching my legs and asking friends to touch my legs so they could feel the magic that is this material. And it's so darn cute. There's mermaids, dinosaurs, cats, and many fun new designs coming your way. Whether you're hitting the track, skate park, gym, or grocery store, you will turn heads and bring joy to those you meet. They offer sizes small through 3X and leggings are bout tested and derby durable. Subscribe today using our podcast promo code POWER10 for 10% off your first pack at boutbetties.com. It's like derby Christmas every single month and yes, they do ship internationally. And we're back. I promised I would lead off this section with Phil Jackson's approach to coaching. Now, Phil Jackson, there can be no doubt that he was an incredibly, incredibly successful coach. He got 11 rings. It's the title of the book. He was a, a player first, and then he became a coach later. And he's a different type of coach than a lot of coaches you might see, particularly in the NBA. Like, for example certain types of coaching that you might see in in any sport, and you probably see this in roller derby a lot, is, uh, let's see, there's like the domineering coach, the one who just needs to be a dictator and needs to have their power demonstrated and just be in charge of everything and just be in everybody's business. Just like, I am, I am the one. I am the authority figure. You could also have uh, for lack of a better word, the suck-up coach. Uh, this coach might just try to endear themselves to the players and become their friend and just wants to be friends with everybody, wants to be seen as cool and hang out and whatever. And, um, you know, there's different uh, pros and cons to both of those approaches. But Phil Jackson had a different approach to coaching. Uh, he really wanted to dial back the ego and distribute power as widely as possible. He didn't need to have all of it. And uh, he really focused on his job of being like the keeper of the team's vision. I really love that. The keeper of the team's vision. It's like being kept in a special box and it's your job to guard it. <laughs> and 
he wanted to foster an environment where everyone can play a leadership role. Um, so his basic principles of mindful leadership, because he's he was really into Zen, Buddhism, Native American philosophy, like he pulled from everything, anything and everything that could help him on his journey. And so there are, let's see, a total of 11 principles, and I'm just going to go through them really fast. The first one is lead from the inside out. Uh, so this means don't follow what others are doing. Don't like watch what other coaches are doing, what other teams are doing. Like just speak from the heart and figure out what your team needs. Like start with your team and work out from there. Number two, bench the ego. That's where the, this other part comes in. Because if you want to bring the team into a state of unity and oneness, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to just rigidly impose your authority on everybody. He really wanted everybody to get involved in leadership. And he found that the more power he gave away, like the better it got, like he was still going to be the ultimate decider, but he wasn't worried about having all the power. That was not important. Number three, let each player discover their own destiny. I really love this one. Uh, he basically says, you really can't force anyone to change. And you've probably noticed that on your team. You cannot force anyone to change. And you gotta, you got to inspire players to find their own way. And an example of how he would practice this in coaching is um, Phil Jackson didn't call a lot of timeouts. This is something that uh, Coach Dan also got from him. Uh, by not calling as many timeouts, you end up allowing the building of uh, what Michael Jordan ended up calling the collective think power of the team. You're letting players solve problems themselves in real time. They have to figure it out. They're the ones out there doing it, and it helps them develop character under fire. It helps see how your players will react in the heat of the moment, and it lets you become clutch. You, you kind of learn how to develop that, that clutchness, that clutch gene. Number four is that the road to freedom is a beautiful system. Now, I talked a little bit about the triangle offense already, but what was really special about it and why Phil Jackson liked it so much is this system worked with the state of selflessness that he wanted to foster in the team uh, because it stimulates creativity and teamwork, and you're training players to read the defense and react. Like every single player out there has to be fully engaged for it to work, and they're problem solving in real time. And so, having a great system that everyone knows how to do, you just go out there and do it. You just do it all the time, and it leads to success. Number five is turn the mundane into sacred. Uh, Phil Jackson ad admits basketball can be a really boring game. It's really repetitive as a really long season. I mean, in roller derby, what do we play? Like maybe between eight and 15 games, most of us per season. And in basketball, they're playing like a hundred games, like no problem. That's exhausting. Like traveling from city to city, playing multiple games a week not getting a lot of rest, then you have practices in between. And this is your job. This is your job. This is what you do all the time. So he wanted to bring individuals together and connect them to something greater than themselves. 
and uh, make something meaningful. Um, like together they would create rituals to like commit to their goals for the season. They would come up with these things together, like just try to make it mean something more than what it did already and not make it just about like money or fame or whatever. Six principle of mindful leadership is one breath, one mind. Phil Jackson got his players to practice meditation. Has your roller derby team tried meditation? either individually or together. It's kind of a weird ask, right? Like, hey, everyone, let's sit in a circle and and quietly breathe in and out. But he got these players on board with this. Uh, He wanted them to quiet the internal chatter in their minds and focus on the task at hand, winning, and just sit in silence, breathing until your breathing gets in sync. I have practiced this just before games as far as uh, stand in a circle and breathe together with your eyes closed. But this takes it like another step forward. And I kind of almost wonder what that would be like with a team. I'm not someone who normally gets into that. I feel like it's almost too slow for me. I I can't imagine just stopping. I know I could and should be meditating, but it's, um, that's, that's a tough ask for me. But um, this is something that's really important to Phil Jackson and his mindful leadership approach. The seventh principle is the key to success is compassion. I really love this one. Uh, He says kindness can have a transformative effect on relationships. So having some compassion, having some empathy, being able to relate to someone when they are injured or understand what they are going through. Um, Just a little bit of kindness can go a long way with making the team stronger. Number eight, keep your eye on the spirit, not on the scoreboard. This idea is that if everyone sticks together, you'll never be defeated. You just have to be together. And it's about surrendering your own self-interest to the greater good. Knowing what each teammate is going to do already. Like having that instinctual power, that predictive power that's been built in practice over time, it helps you find your rhythm. And then you're focusing less on the tactics and more on just moving in sync. And when all your players and your teammates are in tune with each other, good things will happen. So it's about finding that that rhythm, that spirit, that movement together, not focusing on the scoreboard, focusing on the process, the thing that's going to make you great. Number nine, this one's kind of funny. Number nine says, sometimes pull out the big stick. Now, that sounds not great. But apparently, in the strictest form of Zen meditation, there are these people, and they're, they're called monitors, and they walk around in the hallway, and they would just like smack you with a stick. Now, um, it's like a flat wooden stick, and they would strike like sleeping or listless meditators. It sounds like a punishment, right? It sounds like real weird, but they actually call it a compassionate stick. Here's why. The purpose is to reinvigorate the meditator and make them more awakened in the moment. I don't know how hard they're hitting with the stick. Um, but the idea of like how we, you would use this metaphor, because I don't want you to literally hit anyone with a stick because that's not great. It's about finding ways to raise the level of consciousness 
and help overcome chaos. Examples of how Phil Jackson would do this would be he would set up really lopsided scrimmage teams in practice and see how you adapt. Like when things are going really bad, how do you handle it? How do you recover? How do you problem solve in the moment? Or maybe having drills or an entire practice being played like in silence or in the dark. Sometimes he'd turn out the lights so you'd have to listen and be more aware and use your other senses to kind of play. Um, sometimes he'd even play mind games with people, like anything to kind of test their resolve. And that's the quote unquote big stick, not literally beating anyone. Number 10, when in doubt, do nothing. This is a practice of, you know, when, when times are tough, when you're not sure what's going on with your team, do you like, you know, uh, do you yell at somebody or go in, go in at somebody? No. Um, sometimes it's better just to allow the mind to relax and inspiration often follows. So whenever you've got like a sticky situation or a problem, you're not sure what to do about, he's really into just sitting and thinking or sometimes just sitting and then usually the solution will present itself so don't just like tear your hair out trying to do something um just have some quiet time and the last principle is number 11 forget the ring or in our case forget the trophy forget the hydra because being fixated on winning or usually not losing in a lot of cases, being fixated on that, it's counterproductive because it causes you to just lose control of your emotions. So it's about creating the best possible conditions for success and letting go of the outcome. I just play the game the right way and have the courage to grow as human beings as well as players. You know, I love that. <laughs> So Phil Jackson's now the head coach of the Bulls and he's into being focused, playing as one meditation, yoga. Now you remember Doug Collins approach to coaching was all about catering to Michael Jordan and putting the ball in his hands and giving him opportunities to do big things and create big shots. And Phil Jackson's offense is more team oriented. He wanted to get away from being one-on-one -on -one all the time because that's so limiting. And he wanted the team to be creative and spontaneous. He wanted everyone to get a chance to touch the ball. And this wasn't easy to do. Michael wasn't a fan of the triangle offense at first. He kind of scoffed at it and called it like equal opportunity offense for players that didn't have his one-on-one -on -one skills. Ouch. And, and Phil Jackson was asking Michael to reduce the number of shots he took to spread around opportunities to his teammates. And Michael was the second player ever to win the scoring title and MVP title in the same year. Um, and Phil's telling him, you have to share the spotlight with your teammates. If you don't, they won't grow. And and Michael heard him, but his main concern is he didn't have much confidence in his teammates. And Phil said, well, we can't beat any really good defensive team with just like one dominant player. And so they kind of reached, reached a compromise by working together. Michael can still score, but he's asked 
can you score more of your points like toward the end of the game? <laughs> and Michael initially said he'd give the system like two games. But after he saw Phil wasn't backing down, he dedicated his effort to learning it and figuring out how to use it to his advantage, which is exactly what Phil Jackson wanted him to do and wanted him to figure out. Ah, it's so funny because Phil Jackson kept asking Michael, like, move the ball, move the ball. Hey, there's no I in team. And Michael Jordan would say, but there's an I in win, which I love. Um, But Phil Jackson didn't want these situations where a team could plan for one player like Detroit did for Michael. He didn't want other teams to have their version of Jordan rules. He's like, I'm not worried about your ability, Michael, but we need to build everyone around you into a stronger team. Another nice thing about having this this triangle offense was it actually depersonalized criticism because as a coach, Phil could critique the performance without any players feeling like they were being personally attacked because this is something everyone was doing together. So it's not you're screwing it up. It's we need to do better. And having a system turns the team, the whole team, into this learning organization for everyone, from your most seasoned player to your most rookie player. And a system also lets everyone play their part and teach one another how to do the system, which helps bond them together. At this point, I got to ask you listening, does your team have systems? Do you have a system? Do people know what the system is? Is it everyone just making stuff up? Or do you have like things that you practice regularly, like things that you do in certain moments that everyone knows about, like ways of working together. Do you have a system? Do you have your own triangle offense? And if not, maybe it's time to start thinking about that and developing something amazing for next season. Now, they knew that the triangle offense alone wasn't going to be the answer. So they actually needed a middle path between Texas system and Michael's creativity. And once they found it, the game really took off for the Chicago Bulls. Um, and then here's where like the team dynamic comes into play. Because Michael Jordan has this powerful presence on the floor. But he's not a natural leader. He's not. He's a natural doer. He goes out there and do, he does the things. <laughs> um, he's the cleaner. He goes out there and cleans up the mess. He's going to go out there and get it done. But he, he really wasn't a leader at this time. He drove the team by sheer force of will. Basically, like, I'm going to go out there and crush it. Is anyone coming with me? He expected his teammates to live up to the standards he'd held for himself. He's this ultimate perfectionist. And I've had episodes on this already. There are a lot of pitfalls to perfectionism. But let's keep telling Michael's story and we'll we'll come back to that later. To balance things out, Phil Jackson named Bill Cartwright as a co-captain for a contrasting personality, and he was more like a, a big brother who would look out for you and enjoyed teaching other players, which was just a really good contrast to what Michael was already bringing to the table. So in this first year with Phil Jackson as a coach, they built a more balanced team, and they pushed Detroit to Game 7 at the Palace in Auburn Hills. Unfortunately, in this game, Scottie Pippen, another Chicago Bull player, had a migraine, a really bad migraine. He was nauseous. 
His vision was impaired badly. He just couldn't do anything out there. So he had to be taken out of the game. And the Bulls lost by 20 points. The team sat silently in the locker room. They had a chance to beat this team, and they didn't. They weren't able to do it. They had better teamwork, better chemistry. Things were happening, but they weren't quite there yet. So going into the next year, things they started thinking about, Phil Jackson wanted the players to find out how they fit into the system. He didn't want to dictate what the roles would be. And so for the next season, he left Michael alone more to find his place and to make the system work for him, to evolve the system. This is also when Michael Jordan hired his trainer, Tim Grover, who wrote Relentless that we talked about last week. And Grover developed all these programs for him, ways to kind of bulk him up. The team knew something needed to change. So instead of going on vacation, the Bulls were all showing up and working out in the gym. They didn't want to get beat up anymore. They didn't want to get out-muscled by this other physical team. So they're they're all working on putting on muscle of, of their own, working on their strength training. Michael said, I wanted to administer pain and start fighting back. I love that. So if the trainer asked for six reps, Michael would do 12. Like he was just relentless. He was super hardcore in his training. And it really aided him that he kept being compared to these other amazing players like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. But he didn't have the big win himself. He didn't have it yet. And he needed this championship to back up his reputation as one of the best players in the game. This was this missing puzzle piece. And Jordan... Jordan loved challenges. So Phil Jackson challenged him. Hey, relate to your teammates. (laughs) Like, hey, take a fresh look at your role on the team. Serve as a catalyst to get everyone to work together. And he worked with Michael like a partner. This wasn't a, a overlord minion relationship by any means. This is a partnership between two people who want the best for this team. And Phil would let Michael solve problems on his own. Michael enjoyed all the the free space he was given. He loved this approach and he learned how to integrate his personal ambition with those of the team. And this let Michael be the player he needed to be, which was so crucial. I talked about this last week. You have to figure out who you are, be yourself, unlock your best potential. Then you can move forward. And so Michael said, you know, that his energy started going towards his teammates, pushing his teammates to excel. Now, he's kind of a bully. He would scream at anyone who made mistakes. He demanded perfection. And there was definitely this message of, hey, your leader works extremely hard in practice. And if you don't give it your all, you shouldn't be here. This was the message over and over again that was being delivered. And... So Michael's looking around him and he sees, okay, Scottie Pippen has this wonderful raw athletic ability, but he didn't have the drive and focus at that time. So Michael made Scottie his focal point. He knew if you stand next to Scottie Pippen, you make him stronger. So that's where it started. He stood next to Scottie, worked together with him, and each piece built on that relationship from there. He worked on evolving each player. And Scotty also had a different leadership style, 
which was really nice. He never tried to emulate Michael. He knew who he was. He wasn't going to try to be like Mike. So he tried to help other players work better within the triangle system. And he's that compassionate ear. Players could come to. People could talk to Scotty. Michael isn't really accessible and he's super intimidating. So they go to him because Scotty's the nurturer and Michael is the enforcer. Now came the turning point for the Chicago Bulls. The rematch with the Pistons at the Eastern Conference Finals in for the 1991 season. Detroit was the mentally stronger team, as well as the physically dominant going into this. And they knew if they got their opponents whining and complaining about penalties, then they'd already beaten them. You've probably played a team like this before. If they get you whining about penalties and different things, they've already beaten you. So the Bulls had to work on their mental game and their mindset to face their biggest rival. But this year, the Bulls were more confident. Phil Jackson told them, strike first. Don't let the Pistons push you around. You know, and in game one, Michael Jordan didn't have as great a game. But afterwards, he took the time to thank his teammates for carrying him. That's a huge moment of growth, acknowledging his teammates for helping get them through that first game because he knew he didn't do as well. And other people were starting to notice this change in Michael Jordan as a player, that he's suddenly having more confidence in the players around him. He's finally playing team ball. And in game two, Scotty was put in charge of moving the ball around. That worked out really well. It didn't have to be Michael Jordan in charge of every little thing. And the Bulls ended up dominating the Pistons in the series, 3-0. and And so in Game 4, the Pistons got desperate. They did not want to be swept. Dennis Rodman was on the Pistons at the time, and he literally pushed Scottie Pippen. Just straight up pushed him. It's a flagrant foul. But Scottie didn't react. He just sat there really calmly, and he was unshakable. They finished the game strong, and they did sweep the Pistons, the two-time champions. And then the Pistons didn't even shake their hands. They just walked off the court, which is a total jerk move. And I'm from Michigan, so I'm, I'm particularly irritated with this history from my state. Now, the Chicago Bulls are the Eastern Conference champions for the first time ever. And against their biggest rivals, it's a huge moment, but they're not done yet because they have to go to the finals, which is being dubbed as air versus magic because the Chicago Bulls are playing the Los Angeles Lakers. And people said, you know, Michael Jordan wins scoring titles, but he never wins the championship. So in game one, the whole team was nervous. It was their first time to like the big, big event, and they didn't play that well. But what was really encouraging was they only lost by two points. Now, the the Lakers at this time were feeling pretty good, uh, but uh, (laughs) they didn't know that the Bulls hadn't quite played their best yet. Phil Jackson noticed something really important during this series. He noticed that the Lakers were much weaker whenever Magic Johnson rested than whenever Michael Jordan was on the bench for the Bulls and exploited it. Uh, In game two, 
he had Scottie Pippen take on guarding Magic Johnson, which left Michael Jordan a lot more open for opportunities, and it never let Magic get started. So it turned out the Lakers were kind of depending on one player more than the Bulls were. So this is a big shift in the power. And so Michael went wild. And after the game, Phil showed Michael the video of like how Magic actually left the player he was supposed to be guarding to help other teammates on defense. And the reason for this was he was banking on Michael not giving up the ball. He didn't think Michael would pass. So he was leaving other people. So this was creating opportunities if Michael would pass the ball. Michael had been taking on a lot more himself in this series. He hadn't been passing the ball as much as before. He was really concerned about winning. It was it was really hard, but the team did really well in games two, three, and four weren't close. Like the Bulls dominated these games. But game five, game five was a really close back and forth game. And despite the discussions they'd already had between coach and player, Michael wasn't passing the ball enough. So during a timeout, memorable moment, Phil Jackson asks Michael Jordan, hey, MJ, who's open? Who's open? Paxson, okay, so find him. <laughs> so the game changed. At this point, he's, Michael Jordan started setting up plays of penetrating. He was luring the defense to himself and then passing to Paxson. And Paxson delivered. He was he was making his shots. So once the first one happened, he's like, okay, let's try it again. Let's try it again. And the lesson that Phil Jackson had been trying to get through to Michael finally paid off. Instead of taking the shots himself, he passed to his teammate who took the shots. And that's how the Bulls won their first championship. The competitive win at all costs Michael Jordan that made people wonder if he was even human, if he even had feelings because he was so focused. Like this, this athlete who they only saw anger and frustration from in practice. The Bulls won this game. The Bulls won this championship. And he wept for joy. And there was a really sweet moment where he met Magic Johnson between their locker rooms and they embraced. He was happy for Michael and Michael finally fit into this category he'd been chasing his entire life. Now, based on time, I'm clearly not going to be able to finish the story today. So I guess we're going to continue the story next week. But I'll leave you with this quote. Phil Jackson said, you're only a success at the moment you perform the success. You have to do it again. Being able to repeat the success, it takes character. And so I'll tell you next week what happened after the first championship. Thank you for sticking with me in this really fun exploration of athlete and coach and a team from another sport. I think there's just so many takeaways in this as this relentless perfectionist slowly evolves into a team player. Like you can see over the course of time how he has changed and the evolution is just going to keep continuing in the story because when it came down to it, he went right back to his habits. He went right back to, to doing things himself. But 
it sounds like he got hit with that compassion stick at a little wake up moment. And he saw, oh, yeah, pass the ball. And when you pass the ball, get more of your teammates involved. That's how you really win. It reminds me of a memorable situation with my team last season where we worked really hard all year on developing everyone so that in those moments we would need them, they would be there, they would be available, and they'd be ready to to handle situations on the track. And it became so important. We had players that, you know, would suddenly get an injury right before a game uh, in, in our finals, so to speak, in our big tournament. Um, we had uh, our captain of the team was really high on penalties, and we couldn't put her in for a while. And we brought in other players and because we had worked so hard on developing everyone, we were still able to succeed because we didn't have stars. We had a team and it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to take the time to develop other people and to have the confidence in other people and to trust other people. But when you do it, things can really, really pay off. Before we go this week, I want to thank all of the wonderful patrons on Patreon. Thank you so much, especially our top tier patrons, Sheila Stryker, Bye Felicia, Stevie Kicks, Rachel White, Tara Wiebenson, and the training team at Charlotte Roller Derby. And thank you to Library Fine, I love your name, uh, for shopping in the Threadless store this week. And I was really touched that you got the power through the fourth whistle design. Thank you. Um, thank you to everyone who shares stuff on social media. Thank you to our sponsors, Roller Derby Athletics and Bout Betty's. I'm going to let you go so you can enjoy some beautiful weather. We have been talking about derby and sharing derby thoughts. Pew, pew! Thank you for listening to another episode of Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby Podcast. I really hope those laser beams of positivity will carry through your day. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter at Power Fourth Whistle. That's P-O-W-E-R, the number four, T-H-W-H-I-S-T-L-E. You can find fun videos of on and off skates training at our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Instagram. You could also support the podcast on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. The benefits of becoming a patron include fun stuff I can send you, like stickers, buttons, or shirts from our Threadless store. You can get access to our Discord server, bonus content, and free giveaways. Plus, patrons now have access to an ad-free version of the podcast that will download to your favorite podcast app each week, and everyone can access our transcribed episodes at patreon.com slash powerforthwhistle. If you like the content we provide and want to support us on this journey, please consider becoming a patron. If you want to expand your derby wardrobe, of course, another way to support the podcast is visiting our store at powerforthwhistle.threadless.com, where you can get our designs on just about any type of apparel or accessory you can dream up. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you can. Leaving reviews is still the best way to help this podcast be found and spread those laser beams of positivity to more humans. Plus, it's a way you can give back that is completely free. 
open up your Apple Podcast app, punch those stars, and leave me a pew pew!